The reading today is taken from Psalm 3, and that can be found on page 543 in the Church Bibles. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. As usual, please keep the passage open in front of you, Psalm 3, uh, and let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you would teach us and encourage us. Help us, Father, we pray, to understand your word and to apply it to our hearts. Amen. Okay. We're starting a new sermon series this morning in the book of Psalms. Uh, A sermon series we're calling Pray in All Circumstances. Prayer is the privilege of the Christian that we can come before the creator of the universe and talk to him. And because of Jesus... And his death for us, if we are trusting in Jesus, we can come before God, we can call him Father, and we can bring to him all our joys and all our struggles. We are assured that he hears our prayers, every one of them, whether the desperate cry or the heart-filled rejoicing, he hears them. And so the Bible encourages us, instructs us to pray in all circumstances. Our Father wants to hear us. So much so that God even gives us a book of prayers, a book of songs and prayers, which is the book of Psalms in the Bible. Which is not to say that these are the only words we should use in prayer to God. It's not like that. We're not to think of prayers as only set prayers that others have written. We are to pray to our Father, to talk to him as you would talk to your Father. Yet, by giving us the Psalms, the Lord is teaching us how to pray. That we can pray better, grow in our praying. Which doesn't mean that you've got to, you know, you've got to pray the right words in the right order. Nor is it saying if you get it right, God will give you what you want. But rather it is like talking to anyone. The more you know the person, the better you're able to communicate with them. And so we come to Psalm 3. Now I've got a confession on this, that um, I, I planned this series and planned we would start with Psalm 3, a, a psalm which is... Uh, 
a psalm looking at how to pray under pressure. And a third of the way through my preparation, I thought, I'm sure I've preached on this psalm before. This seems awfully familiar. And then I, I, I realized, because I normally check, and you know, in the sort of my folder in my computer for psalms, I look back and saw, no, it's not there. And then realized it was under a different sermon series. I did preach on this in 2020. And then I thought, well, if I didn't remember up until then, chances of you remembering are slim. Uh, and in the Lord's purposes, this is the psalm that we're looking at. And I thought, well, you know, trust the Lord in that and let's look back at it again. So if you happen to remember some of this, um, just go with it and uh, trust that the Lord wanted to remind you of it. Well, Psalm 3 is a psalm written under pressure and is a psalm that we can learn from how to pray to the Lord under pressure. Indeed, when we're feeling not just under pressure, but feeling overwhelmed, when we're frightened, when we're feeling anxious, and anxiety is a thing that many struggle with, many of us struggle with, myself included. The world will tell us when it comes to those anxieties, when it comes to those fears, either to deny them or to conquer them. But the answer is in you. Either flee from them or face them. But the Bible tells us to do something else, and that is to pray them. It says before the start of the psalm, the context of this psalm, it was when David was fleeing from Absalom. You see that in the bit in italics just before uh, the beginning of the psalm. It says Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Now we can locate that in the history of Israel in the book of uh, 2 Samuel. Uh, and the context is that David has been king of Israel uh, for a number of years. He's been a very successful king in Jerusalem. But his son Absalom gathered support and started an uprising against his father, David, and took the capital city and the palace. David fled from Jerusalem. And this is a psalm written with David on the run, fleeing for his life. And what do we learn about how to pray when under pressure? Well, you can look on the back of your sheet if you want to, see the sermon points there. You can fill in, uh, write notes if you want to. First point is this, express your fears. We see this in verse 1 and 2. See how David does this, verse 1 and 2. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So the first thing we see is David just saying to God, look, this is how it is. We may feel at times that everyone is against us, but David, actually, it was true. There were people rising up against him. And he expresses it to God. And we learn that it is a good thing to lay out to God, to say to God how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're going through. David isn't doing this because the Lord doesn't know the situation, as if he's having to give God a, a sort of news briefing to say, well, you know, you were asleep overnight. Let me just get, catch you up with what, what's going on in my life. By the way, things aren't going very well. No, but what we learn here is that prayer is not just a, 
a business phone call that, that he just goes through the agenda and just does things as short, you know, in a, as brief a way as possible. No, he outlines to the Lord saying, look, this is how it is. God could say, well, yeah, I know. But no, he wants his child, he wants David to express it to him. And not just the facts, but how it feels. Because David doesn't just express the facts, does he? He says, when he says, how many are my foes, he's not expecting God to give him an answer, a number. No, he's just expressing it. What's he saying? He's saying, look, this is overwhelming. There are just too many of them. I can't deal with this. And notice he even expresses the lies that other people are saying. End of verse 2. Verse 2, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And there could be good reason for people to think God won't deliver David. In earlier chapters of 2 Samuel, before you get the rebellion of Absalom, we see David has done some pretty awful things. He's committed adultery and murder. And though the word of the Lord to David was that David was forgiven, you could understand people thinking, David is finished. The Lord's abandoned him, maybe. Because the Lord abandoned Saul, David's predecessor, when Saul sinned, David sinned, and now is running from Jerusalem with his son taking over the palace. And so it's understandable if they say, no, David's finished. David, no, no one's going to rescue you. God's not going to deliver you. And the thing is, we too, in our circumstances, can be surrounded by prophets of doom. I don't know if that's your experience, but it can happen, can't it? That we're surrounded by people who say it's all going to go wrong. Yeah, God's not going to help you in this. And often it starts with the person saying, being realistic. Do you know that? Sometimes uh, people say, well, yeah, God could do something. God could change the situation. God could do this. God could do that. But being realistic, which is another way of saying God isn't really going to help you, is it? But the thing is, all too often, it's not just people out there who are saying this. It's in our hearts too, isn't it? That we presume the worst. That's often what our anxieties are, isn't it? That we visualise the future and visualise it all going horribly wrong, which is us saying to our hearts, God will not deliver you. And the thing is, David expresses all this to the Lord, doesn't he? He says, this is what people are saying. God, that you're not going to deliver me. And we're to do this too, to say, God, that this is how it is. This is how it feels. This is what it's like. And we can even say to the Lord, although David doesn't say this here, we can even say to the Lord, Lord, I'm afraid you've abandoned me. Do you see how... God is teaching us how to pray. Not with set words to to recite necessarily, but he's telling us this is how to do it. Talk to the Lord. Tell the Lord, as David did, say what it's like. That's our first thing. Second, declare truth. 
Now, there's a key moment, isn't there? Verse 3. Verse 3. David says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Notice that, will you? There's that key turning point of saying, But you, Lord, are. Uh, that's really important. I, there's often turning points in Psalms. And I was challenged as I prepared this to think, are there turning points in our prayers? Do we just wallow in this is how bad it is and finish? Are there turning points where we say, yes, but you, Lord, are this? Yes, we're to express our fears, but we're also to declare truth. And here David takes biblical truths that he's learned and he expresses them back to God in defiance of what he sees around him, in what others are saying, even in defiance of our own hearts, we can say, look, but I know this is who you are, Lord. And he declares four essential truths about God, and we're going to see them, we're going to go through them, you'll see them on your sheet. The first is, you are a shield around me. That's what he says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. You're my protection. He's on the run, but he's saying, God, you are my shield, and you're my shield around me. Now, you know, if you've watched films with the Roman, of Roman soldiers, you know, back, you watch Gladiator or that kind of thing, you know, there are kind of two kinds of shield. There might be more, but there are at least two kinds of shield. You've got the kind of shield which you take into hand-to-hand combat, the kind of one which is a bit like a dustbin lid that's on, on you, that you can carry around like that. But then there's the other kind of shield, which is the shield which is more like a door that they carry w- with them. Yeah, they, they go into battle, or they go up to a, you know, a fortified city, they take that shield and it's like a door, it covers the front of them. And David is saying, look, you're not just that kind of shield, the door, you are a shield around me. You surround me. You're more even than that door-like shield. You protect me. You are right around me. I'm completely protected by you. Now, one thing to notice with that image of David saying, you're a shield around me, is that you don't need a shield unless you're under attack, do you? You don't need a shield unless people are firing arrows at you or throwing things at you. And we need to see David is not saying, you're my helicopter who lifts me out of the danger. You're a shield around me in the troubles. For God to be our shield is not for him to remove us necessarily from our trials and difficulties, but to be a shield around us in those difficulties. So what does that mean in practice, for him to be your shield? It means the arrows will come, the difficulties will come. But if God is our shield, then there is much that he prevents from coming through to us. There's much that he prevents from getting through to us. And the only things that do get through are things that will somehow be used for our good. Let me say that again. There is much that he prevents from getting through to us. And the only things that do get through are things that will somehow be used for our good. You say, well, yeah, but I'm struggling. I'm going through difficulties. Is that really true? David was going through difficulties, wasn't he? Real difficulties. But he could say, God, you are a shield around me. Second, 
in this declaring truth. You are my glory. Interesting, David doesn't say, God, give me glory, or give me back my glory. He says, you are my glory. Now, that is significant. What is your glory? Your glory is, well, glory means weight, substance. It's what gives you substance to your life. And David has lost a lot that could have been his glory. What might have been his glory? Well, the kingship, reigning from his palace in Jerusalem. But he's lost that. His success, well, everything seems to be tumbling down. His family, being a good dad, well, he can't claim that now. His reputation is in ruins. His popularity, well, his son's taken that from him. His security and his wealth, he's no longer got that. And he doesn't say, give me back my glory. He says, God, you are my glory. Though I have lost all those things, you, my glory. And we need to make that shift too. A shift that relocates our glory from other things to the Lord. And our fears and our anxieties can help us make that shift. Because, you see, our anxieties can point to the things that we currently have as our glory. When we're afraid, when we're not just, not just afraid of something, but anxious and it's ongoing, it, maybe that's pointing us to something where we say, actually, that has become your glory. And we need to say, no, that's not going to be my glory. I, I need to relocate my glory to the Lord. And the more we can do that, the better we're able to do that, the more our anxieties can be alleviated. And this is how David was able to sleep, which he can. Verses 5 and 6, if you see over the page, he says, I, I lie down and sleep. How can he lie down and sleep? Someone's out to kill him. He says, I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. His glory was the Lord. Third, in this declaring truth. You lift my head. Back to verse 3. He says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. If you tell someone to lift up their head, sort of shoulders back, head up, what are you saying to them? It's to do with confidence, isn't it? A sports team whose head has dropped, you say, they've lost confidence. They've lost the will to keep going. David says, Lord, you lift my head. Now, just pause on that. David is not just saying, I will lift up my head. I mean, he's not just saying, you know, buck your ideas up. Come on, David, lift up your head. And he's not saying, other people are telling me, lift up your head. He's not even actually saying, the Lord is telling me to lift up my head. No, he's saying, Lord, you lift up my head. Lord, you do that to me. Now, what might make our heads go down? Past sin? Jesus deals with that and lifts our heads. He deals with it on the cross. 
and lifts our head, says, no, they're dealt with. You've come to me, you've put your trust in me, your sin is dealt with. He lifts our head. Feelings of worthlessness? The Lord says, I love you. I love you enough to send my son to die for you. He lifts our head. Feeling that you can't go on? The Lord says, I will be your strength and lifts our heads. That everyone else is ridiculing me or is against me, but the Lord lifts your head. And what could be better? But I'm a nobody, we say. But the Lord takes nobodies, raises them up to be his children, seats them with Christ in the heavenly realms, a position of great honour. The Lord lifts your head. And fourth, you answer me. That's in verse 4. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Though David has fled from the holy mountain, in other words, from Jerusalem, from the temple, though he's on the run, yet he says, Lord, I know you hear me. I know you listen to me. No prayer that we pray is ever ignored. Christian, the Lord hears every word you pray to him. I read recently, I think it was F.B. Meyer, uh, who said something along the lines of, I couldn't find it again, but it was along the lines of, whenever we pray, whatever happens immediately afterwards is the start of the answer to that prayer. God hears. He listens to you and me. So there are the four things, four truths that um, David declares. And notice there's a difference between what David does and what we tend to do. David, uh, we tend to ask God for these things, don't we? We tend to ask. We say, Lord, please be my shield. Please be my glory. David doesn't do that. He declares them. He says, Lord, you are my shield. You are my glory. And that's a significant difference. We can do it too. Say, Lord, you are these things. So we declare truth. Express our fears, declare truth, and thirdly, look to the king's victory. Now we come to the tricky verses. Verses 7 and 8. Let me just read them for you again. Uh, verse 7 arise Lord deliver me my God strike all my enemies on the jaw break the teeth of the wicked from the Lord comes deliverance may your people may your blessing be on your people okay it's tricky isn't it Uh, what are we to do with this David is saying Lord smash my enemies break their jaws smash their teeth are we to take these words onto ourselves And we say, you know, how far do you take this? Someone carves you up on the road. You go, Lord, break their jaw. Someone pushes past you in the supermarket. Smash their teeth. (laughs) Is that what you're to do? No, maybe not. How do we deal with these lines? How do we deal with those? Well, we've got to remember that they are written by King David. And that makes a big difference. They are the words of the king of Israel. Now just imagine, okay, so David wrote this psalm. He wrote this psalm when he was fleeing, when he was on the run. King of Israel, and he's praying, Lord, defeat my enemies. 
And sometime later, obviously this psalm was included in the book of Psalms, and this was sung by the Israelites, or prayed by the Israelites, sung by them. They would sing these words, Lord, smash their jaws, break their teeth. But they weren't singing it for themselves. They were singing it knowing that these were the words of the king. These were the words of David. You see, this, this psalm isn't written like a prayer book prayer, as if the writer was writing it down thinking, well, you know, this is for you to pray for you. But rather, this is a psalm where you go, no, actually, this was a psalm of David. He wrote this in his particular situation about his, you know, circumstances, about people getting at him. Now, what difference does that make? The fact that he is the king of Israel makes a big difference. Because the king of Israel was God's king. Just cast your eyes back, would you, to uh, Psalm 2. It's important, actually, the context. Often with Psalms, we, we just pluck them out of the book and just sort of deal with them on their own. But you can put them in the context of the other Psalms that, that surround them. And Psalm 2, you have talk of a king. So, at the beginning of Psalm 2, everyone is plotting against God. Verse 2, the kings of the earth rise up, and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So it's like the world, all the kings of the world are plotting against God, they're rebelling against God. And what does God do? Verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God is saying his response is to set up his king, his chosen king. And that is how the king of Israel was viewed, should be viewed as being God's chosen king, anointed by God. And therefore, if people are attacking the king, they are attacking God. They're against God. Now, that's not true of everyone in Israel. That's not true of, you know, that was true of that king. That's not true of kings and queens today, but that was true of that king. And you do see this elsewhere. So um, earlier on uh, in David's life, before he became king, Saul was king. And God told David he was going to become king in Saul's place. And Saul hated David and tried to kill David. And David had the opportunity to kill Saul and presumably then take over the kingship. One point, Saul was chasing after David and in his chase after David needed to relieve himself. So went into a cave. He didn't know David was in that cave. And David's friends who were with him said, go on, kill him. And David refused and said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he's the Lord's anointed. He said, I'm not going to kill him. He's the Lord's anointed. If I attack him, I'm going against God. Now, you've got to take that thinking into this psalm as well. Psalm 3. That people attacking David are against God because David is the Lord's anointed. And when people later on were singing this psalm, they weren't singing it to take it onto their own lips. They were singing it knowing that they were taking David's words about his situation. And they were kind of associating themselves with David because however the king does, that's how the people do. And so when they sang the psalm, they would say, how many are my foes? You think, are they, have you really got many foes? No, 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 but that's what it was like for my king. And I'm connected to him. And they knew that God delivered the king. Absalom was defeated. Sadly, Absalom was killed to David's great sorrow. 
The Lord gave victory to his anointed king against those who opposed him and attacked him. Now, like I say, the Israelites would sing that, identifying with their king. His victory was their victory. But of course, David foreshadows for us a greater king. David was very flawed. Lots of good things about him, but he made a mess of things. And he points us to the greater king, Jesus, who was also attacked and won victory over his enemies. How did Jesus win victory? David left Jerusalem fleeing for his life. Jesus entered Jerusalem heading to his death. And as Jesus died, he defeated his enemies. And he is our king. His death and resurrection are our victory because he's our king if we're trusting in him. And so Spurgeon, in his commentary on this psalm, says, I think we've got the quote on the, on the screen, Rejoice, O believer, you have to do with a dragon whose head is broken and with enemies whose teeth are dashed from their jaws. Who is our enemy that Jesus defeated for us? Sin, the devil, death. Jesus defeated them all. And those who come to Jesus and identify with him, the New Testament says his victory is your victory. His death, your death. His resurrection, your resurrection. You connect to him. You are united to him and his victory. And because of that, the greatest thing that you could fear, not being forgiven, coming before God with sin still on you, death, all of those have been defeated by Jesus. And as one who bows before your king, Jesus, his victory is yours. So how do we cope with pressure, anxieties, fears? We express them, we declare truth, and we rejoice in our king's victory. And we will rejoice in that victory in a few moments as we take communion together. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you would help us. Father, where we struggle, where we're anxious, where we're under pressure, help us, Father, to pray to express our fears to you, to declare truth, and to rejoice in the victory of Jesus, our King. Amen.